Bible says we love him, say it with me, because he first loved us. And really, isn't that the motivation for why we attend church? I hope that you're not here as a religious obligation. I hope you're not here as uh, just a social event with other Christians, but that your heart is truly tied to your God by great love and affection for all that He has done for you. And so this morning as we look at the Word of God, as we've already had our hearts drawn to the truth of Jesus Christ, that as we once again remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus and the opportunities that we have because Christ is our Savior, that we would leave this place today with more commitment and more love and more surrender to God. That's what it's all about. So let's take our Bibles and let's open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 this morning. If you come back tonight, my brother Mike will be preaching. That will be his final time to preach this weekend. And then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, our team will be here and I'll be preaching. And I hope it's okay with you that we are, my brother and I, we are nothing more than Bible preachers. That's all we are. We are not here to tell stories and make you laugh or entertain you. That is not the purpose of preaching. The purpose of preaching is to say, thus saith the Lord. And so, as I said yesterday to the teenagers, I like to say this because I really think it's important, especially when it's a new person and you have a couple trailers out on the parking lot. It kind of looks like a traveling carnival, right? We are not a traveling carnival. And I want to say to you, please, get past the preacher and get past the presentation on the platform and realize that what you are hearing is the Word of God. It is God's truth that matters. And and if I am a person who is just here to make myself known, I have no business standing behind this pulpit. I am here to show you who God is, to tell you what God says. And so we've turned to Romans chapter 12, which is probably some of the most familiar verses in all the Bible. As a matter of fact, when I became an evangelist, I thought to myself, I'm probably going to stay away from the passages of Scripture that everyone knows and that everyone hears messages on. In Romans 12, 1 and 2 are two of those verses that pretty much everyone knows, right? As a matter of fact, how many of you would say that you probably have these two verses memorized? If you do, raise your hand. Lots of you raising your hands. I know that these are some of the first verses I memorized as well. Let's say them together. You can either quote them or read them and and read them out loud with me, all right? Romans 12, 1 and 2, together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Surely you would agree with me that whether you are lost or whether you are saved, those verses have very profound meaning for us. You know, I used to think I'm not going to preach on Romans 12, 1 and 2, but then I started traveling and I started noticing that some of the verses that we quote most often are the verses we don't live. 
And so I hope that God would allow me to pull some truth out of these verses that maybe you haven't seen in a little while and remind us of what God wants for us from Romans 12, 1 and 2. I've titled the message this morning, What Will You Be? What will you be? Because I do think that one of the main themes of this verse is that we have great potential, we have great possibilities when we have Christ enabling our lives. And these two verses reveal to us the potential. You know, every once in a while, especially when I was in my younger years of ministry, somebody, an older Christian, would come up to me and they would say, wow, you know what, you have great potential. Someday God's going to really use you. And I used to think to myself, well, I hope he's using me now, but I know what you mean. What do we mean when we say you have potential? What do we mean when we talk to teenagers about this idea of potential? We mean that there is something there that is possible. There is something there that needs to be brought out. There's, there's that, that opportunity that may be in their future. And I want to tell you that with the power of Christ on your life, there are great opportunities. There are great potentials, great possibilities. And the question is, what will you be? You know, the Bible clearly teaches us that without Jesus, we are nothing. Jesus said, for without me, you can do nothing. But the Bible also teaches us in Philippians chapter 4 that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So with Christ, I am not, without Christ, I am nothing. And with Christ, I can do all things. Don't you see that the significant part of this is the enabling presence and power of Jesus Christ? You're nothing without him, and you're everything with him. So what is the potential that we see in these verses? Let me share with you what I believe are five potentials, five possibilities. I know when the pastor or the preacher says they have five points, you're thinking, oh no, it's going to be a long message. Don't worry, we're going to go through them very quickly. Possibility, potential number one. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So it is clear in this text that he is primarily addressing Christians. That's why he uses the word brethren. But he reminds the brethren of the potential that maybe was already fulfilled in them and is not fulfilled in others. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This reveals to us the first potential that any person has, any man or woman has, and that is through Christ, number one, we can be delivered. Through Christ, we can be delivered. It is absolutely clear in the text that he is referring to salvation. We are delivered through salvation in Christ alone. It is no work that we accomplish. It is not through the sacraments or a church. It is not through our baptism. It is not through any confirmation that we, we happen on our, in our own strength. Because the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. So we know that salvation is in Christ. It's only in Christ. But there is a clear reference here to his mercy. Aren't you thankful God has been merciful? So when Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he is clearly referring back in the book of Romans to Romans 1 through 12. 
Romans 1 through 11, and then the transition is in, in chapter 12. What do we find in Romans 1 through 11? Well, if you've ever read through the book of Romans, you understand that this is the doctrinal side of the book. And it is clear that in this verse, this transition verse that Paul is using, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, it is clear that he is referring back to the salvation theology that he's already written about. It's interesting to note that in Romans 1 through 11, we find what we call the Romans road. Are you familiar with the Romans road? Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 5.12, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23. And, and if we had time, we could go to all those verses and we could find out that we are sinners, that we deserve to die and go to hell, but God in his love and mercy has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to pay the debt that we could not pay. And probably Romans 10.13 kind of summarizes it when it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, say it with me, shall be saved. Aren't you glad that you are saved? Do we get so comfortable and complacent as Christians that we forget what a miracle it is that he reached down into the miry pit of sin and destruction? He has set our feet on a solid rock. He has put a new song in our heart. Wow, what an amazing thing it is to be saved. You know, maybe you got saved when you were a little child. Or maybe you aren't saved yet. We may have a number of people in this auditorium and this potential has not happened to you. This possibility needs to happen in your life. There is no other way to go to heaven. There's no other way to have eternal life. There's no other way to have your sins forgiven than through the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And so what Paul is revealing is that through salvation, you can be saved. Through salvation, you can be delivered. And folks, we need deliverance. We need deliverance from sin. And we need deliverance from Satan. And so I need to ask this morning, are you confident that you are a child of God? What will you be? You can be saved. You can be delivered. And if you're here today and you're a visitor, maybe you've never come. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you got invited by somebody and you're a visitor here today and, and you have never accepted Jesus Christ by faith. I want to tell you, you are missing out on the greatest potential that Christ can give you. Christ wants to save you. You can be born again and brought into God's family. This is the potential that we have. Number one, we can be delivered. But there's something else that Paul tells us here. Because salvation is just the first step. You know, some people treat salvation like, well, I, I got my fire insurance. At least I'm not going to hell. But do you realize that salvation is just the beginning? There is so much more that God wants to do in our lives through the power of Jesus Christ. So through the power of Christ, we can be delivered. But notice what he says next. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what he's talking about? Number two, we can be dedicated. We can be dedicated. What a privilege it is that once we are saved and rescued from sin, delivered from Satan himself, that now we have the opportunity to not live for ourselves. We have the opportunity to be a servant of righteousness. We have an opportunity to be fully yielded and fully surrendered to God through the power of Jesus Christ. And this is amazing that we can actually sacrifice our life. We can give our life to him through dedication, through surrendering our life to the Lord. 
It's interesting that Paul draws, in verse 1, he draws on the sacrificial terminology. Do you see that? Giving our lives a living sacrifice. I just have to say, folks, I'm so thankful that no more sacrifice for sin needs to be made. The blood of bulls and goats could have never taken away sins, the book of Hebrews tells us. But the blood of Christ once and for all was sacrificed. Jesus, the Lamb of God, fulfilling all the Old Testament sacrificial system. There's no more offerings. There's no more sacrifices. There's no more giving of those animal sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament. And one of the, sacrifice, or one of the characteristics of the sacrifices in the Old Testament was that all the animal sacrifices were dead sacrifices but did you see the word here he says that we're to give our lives a living sacrifice this is just a wonderful thing that happens in the new covenant in the new testament in the church age no more dead sacrifices now the sacrifice is our life it's our living so our living and our lifestyle is an opportunity for us to show god how much we are dedicated to him He says it's a living sacrifice. Secondly, he says it is a holy sacrifice. The word holy meaning to be set apart, which gives me two ideas. First of all, that means pure, just like the Old Testament sacrifices were without blemish. They were spotless. That's the kind of sacrifice God wants from us. He wants a pure sacrifice. It's set apart from sin. But the sacrifice is not just pure, but it's also set apart for God, which means it's a priority. It's the most important thing. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we say, like Matthew 6.33 says, we will seek Him first. Seek Him first in the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So it's a pure sacrifice and a priority sacrifice. Can I ask you, is this the kind of living you are giving back to God? Because the way you live, your life and your lifestyle, is a way of dedication. It's a sacrifice back to Him. It's a living sacrifice. It's a holy sacrifice. Notice the next term in the verse. It's acceptable. Probably everyone in here would say, yes, I want to be acceptable to God. In other words, you want to be pleasing Him. I mean, if you are a child of God bought with the precious blood of Christ, surely you would agree that you ought to want to please God. Amen? Let me tell you what pleases God. Don't live for yourself. You know what pleases God? Full surrender, full yieldedness, full dedication, offering your life and your lifestyle, your living as a sacrifice. It is acceptable unto God. Boy, he gives a lot of characteristics of this sacrifice. It's living, it's holy, it's acceptable. Look what he says at the end of verse 1. It is reasonable. It is your reasonable service. We might even say it this way. This is your logical action of worshiping God. You know what true worship is? True worship is responding to God and His grace and His gospel by saying, God, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm going to glorify you in my body and in my spirit. I'm going to do all for the glory of God. I'm going to live for you. It's all about living for Jesus. That's what full surrender is. Let me just tell you something. When you surrender your life that way, it's amazing to watch what God will do. What God does with people who are fully dedicated, fully yielded, total sacrifice. 
And I think he is worthy of our sacrifice. For all that he has given to us, how can we live for ourselves and not for the Savior? This is dedication. And you know what? Every person has this possibility. This is not just for the missionaries and the pastors and evangelists. This is not just for people who are in full-time ministry. This is every Christian should be offering their life as a living sacrifice, fully yielded, fully dedicated. You can be delivered through salvation. You can be dedicated through surrender. And then he tells us, number three, in verse two, he says this, and be not conformed to this world. And be not conformed to this world. You know what this shows me? Number three, potential. Remember, through Christ, we can do all things. This is the potential we have. Don't try to live your life without the power of Christ. Don't try to uh, go on without his presence and his power enabling you. You can be delivered. You can be dedicated. Number three, you can be and should be different. You should be different. He says, do not be conformed. Or we can literally say it this way. This is the idea of the terminology and the language here. Stop. Stop being conformed. Now, if there's anything that needs to be preached in American Christianity is do not be conformed to the world. Because it's happening not only in the culture, but it's happening in the church. Now, it's interesting to note that this word conformed is a word that literally describes external behavior. And the point is this. If you internally are a Christian, then you externally ought to show that you're a Christian. Or maybe I could say it this way. If you are a saint, then you ought to look like one. If you are a saint, then you ought to act like one. If you are a saint, then you ought to entertain yourself like one. And couldn't we go on and on and on? Because the idea here is literally external conformity. It has the idea of being pressed into the external mold. When I think of this, I think of pouring a chocolate Easter bunny into the mold. And uh, typically it's pretty hollow on the inside, isn't it? That's it's really tragic when you buy one of those and you bite in and it just crumbles. I'd much rather have a Cadbury cream egg, you know what I'm saying? It has something on the inside. And the point is this, you may be a genuine Christian, but you may not look like one. And he's saying, stop externally being pressed into the mold of the world. Now, in order to understand this, we've got to define what the word world means. This is the word cosmos, which does not refer to the actual earth, the globe. This is the word that refers to the world's system, the world's philosophy. And it's described for us beautifully and biblically in 1 John chapter 2. Would you turn there quickly? 1 John chapter 2. When we turn to 1 John chapter 2, we have a specific definition of what the world is. Now, in order to understand what we're not supposed to be externally being pushed into, do not be externally being pressed into the mold of the system of the age. The world's thinking, the world's philosophy, the world's system, what does that system include? What does the world's philosophy include? 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 tells us, Love not the world. Same word, cosmos. The world's philosophy. We're not talking about hating the earth. We're talking about Christians who are pilgrims and strangers eagerly and aggressively opposing the system of this culture, the system of this age. Love not the world. 
neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what he's saying is if, if you are actually in love with the system of this age, you need to check up and make sure that you are a genuine believer. Because those who are genuine believers are pilgrims and strangers. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. He goes on and he says, for all that is in the world, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So he defines for us, under inspiration, we have a definition of what the world is. This is what we are not to be conformed to. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, living for pleasure. Lust of the eyes, living for possessions. Pride of life, living for your own popularity, your own prominence. And do not we see this in the world? People live for their pleasure. This is what we call hedonism. People live for their own possessions and material things. That's what we call materialism. And then people live to make their name famous. They want to be known. This is what we call humanism. But listen, if we are genuine followers of Jesus, we should not be pressed into this mold. We should not live for our pleasure. We should live for his pleasure. And that's radically different. Radically different from the world. We should not live for possessions here on this earth, a big bank account, nicer cars, bigger houses, impress more people. We should not live for those things. We should live to lay up treasures in heaven. And that's radically different. Different from the world. And listen, we don't live to make ourselves known. I want to be famous. I want people to talk about me. I want people to know who I am. I want to make sure that I am in charge. This is the way the world operates. They want to be famous and popular, and it's the pride of life. But if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, it's not about you being known. It's about Jesus being known. It's not about people reading and hearing about your name, but it's rather lifting up Jesus. Don't you see how radically different from the world and the system of this age that we ought to be? And this is why Paul said we are to be crucified unto the world. Friendship with the world, James 4.4 says, is enmity with God. Whosoever will therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And let me just tell you, it's getting harder and harder to see the distinction, to see the difference between the church and the culture. And that's a sad reality that we see in the world today. The church has lost its influence because we are not the salt and light that we ought to be preserving in guiding and directing, stemming the tide of the culture. And I'll tell you why, the, uh, why we're not salt and light, because often the church is just shortly behind all of the philosophies of the world. And there's very little difference anymore. And I'm just challenging you personally and in your family, and yes, even in this church, that we would continue to propagate and live. Do not be conformed to the world. We ought to be different. We ought to be radically opposed to the system of this age. And you know how we do that? Through the power of Jesus Christ. Christ in us. Christ through us. This is the potential that we have. Turn back to Romans chapter 12. We have the potential to be delivered. We have the potential to be dedicated. Delivered through salvation. Dedicated through surrender. Different through separation from the world. And then he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye 
transformed. Wow, this is the, the absolute opposite of conformed. So he says, we could say it this way. Rather than being pressed into the mold of the world externally, you should rather be internally miraculously changed. This is what the word transformed means. Internally miraculously changed. It's the word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. Ever heard of that word? I'm sorry to bring up bad memories from physical science class, okay? But physical science class taught us this idea of metamorphosis, which is a radical, miraculous change from that caterpillar that goes in the, and wraps in the cocoon and comes out radically different, radically changed, beautiful, a beautiful moth or butterfly. This is a metamorphosis. And aren't you glad that's exactly what Jesus has done for us? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And through the power of Christ, he has already transformed us and he is progressively continuing to transform us. This is what we might call sanctification. And in some sense, you are sanctified the moment you get saved. Just like judicially we are declared righteous, we are also in some sense saints. We are sanctified, pure ones, holy ones when we get saved. But we all know that that sanctification is a progression that continues throughout all of our life, right? Because we know practically speaking, we're not righteous. Practically speaking, we still sin. And so he's telling us that we can be radically, continually being internally, miraculously changed. And he tells us how it happens. Transformed by, watch this, the renewing of your mind. So I say it this way. Number four is be diligent. Be diligent. Mike talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. How we need to be in the word of God. We need to be defining the culture. Detecting the culture. Defining the culture. and Deciding what we're going to do based upon our knowledge of the word of God. We need to know God's word. There is only one place that changes the way that we think. You cannot run to psychology. You cannot run just to the educational system. You know where we need to run as believers to change our thinking? We run to the Word of God. God's Word has the answers for us. We have everything we need for life and godliness, for our personal lives, our family lives, our business culture, the church life that we have. The Bible gives us principles and commands and stories and pictures and all kinds of help to to guide us into all truth. And here is, in essence, what he's saying in this verse. Stop thinking worldly and start thinking biblically. Because those who are thinking worldly will be pressed into the mold of the world. And those who are thinking biblically will be radically sanctified, radically changed through diligence in the word of God. You know, it's really a shame that we have to talk about this, but I have to ask you this question. Are you reading the Bible? How can we expect to change our thinking if we're not even going to read it? You know, sad to say, a lot of Christians really, they pick up their Bible on Sunday, but the rest of the week they're not really picking up their Bible much. Not only should we be reading it, but we ought to be meditating on it and memorizing it and making sure that we're obedient to God's word. This is the only place we have to go for the truth of God. John 17, 17, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. And you know what? You can be radically transformed through sanctification when you renew your mind with the truth, the truth of the word of God. We need to be diligent. 
And what's great is through the power of Christ, we know that the Spirit of God illuminates our minds. Yes, there are things in the Scripture that are hard to understand, difficult to see, but you know what? The more you start to study, the more you start to understand that the theme of the Bible, redemption that is brought to us through Christ, is really the main theme of the entire Bible, that God brings glory to His name through redeeming His people. The Old Testament reveals the Redeemer. The New Testament fulfills the Redeemer. It's all about Jesus. It's all about getting us back into the glory of God. And this is a wonderful theme that is throughout the whole Bible. You start to read it. You start to study it. Not only does it tell us how to be saved, it tells us how to grow in Christ. It tells us how to live in this old world uh, that's full of wickedness. Listen, we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be diligently studying to show ourselves approved unto God. And this is through the power of Jesus Christ. We can be delivered. We can be dedicated. We can be different. We can be diligent. And finally, notice what he says at verse 2, the end of verse 2. And this is actually the result of all of this. He says, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the result of all of the benefit that we're reading about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. In other words, we can say it this way. If you are delivered and you are dedicated and are different and you're being diligent, you will be discerning. You will be discerning. This is the result. And he does say that you'll be able to prove it. This is the word test. You'll be able to test what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now, nobody has to test things that are clearly written down. For example, do we have to make any discernment decision on the area of lying? Yes or no? Okay, the Bible clearly says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. You don't need any discernment to know you shouldn't lie. So he's not talking about things that are clearly written down. He's he's obviously talking about things that are unclear. And every culture and every civilization and every time period has multiple things that pass through our lives where we have to have discernment. We need to know what is right and wrong. We need to make right choices. So thankful for the Sunday school lesson that that really pointed this out, that discernment is so important so we can be spiritual and servants and stewards and and be a a show and a spectacle to the world that we are children of the King. If you miss that Sunday school lesson, it's a helpful lesson. But discernment comes through the enabling power and presence of Jesus Christ. And we'll be able to know what is good and acceptable. And isn't that the goal? Oh, that we would do God's will. That's all that matters. It's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. That we would be surrendered to that and that we would earnestly seek the scripture and that we would study and make sure that we understand uh, not only the actual direct language of the scripture, but the meaning of the scripture and how it applies to each situation and each cultural activity and each cultural event that, that may be around us. And that we'll be able to discern what is right and wrong and prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. We can be discerning. This is, this is the potential that we have. And wouldn't you agree with me? It is incredible potential. Delivered, dedicated, different, diligent, and discerning. And may I say, if every Christian would have all of those potentials being lived out in their life, we would be experiencing a genuine revival in the church. We would be experiencing a genuine work of God, a spiritual awakening in the church if every person was confident in their deliverance and salvation 
They're committed to God in a wonderful, surrendered, 100% surrendered way through dedication. They're different from the world. They're, they're getting into the word of God to see what's right and what is wrong. And they're discerning between good and evil. These are the potentials that we have. And, and remember, none of this happens on our own. We are nothing without Christ. We need Christ. He's the enabling power for our salvation, our surrender, our separation, our saturation in the word, and our discernment in this culture. He is the enabling power in the presence. So I say it again. With Christ, we can do all things. But without Christ, we are nothing. The key factor is you must be living in the power of Christ every day. Are you here today and you're unsaved? You need to get saved. Are you here today and you're really lacking in commitment and surrender, dedication? You need to give your life to the Lord. Is there a conformity to the world happening in your life? You're not experiencing more godliness, but you're actually experiencing more worldliness. You need to be different. Are you forsaking the word of God? Lazy and apathetic with your time in the word? You need diligence. And how about the choices you're making for yourself and others? Discernment. These are the potentials that we have. So I ask you the question again. What will you be? You can be these things. You can be delivered, dedicated, different, diligent, discerning. You can be all of these things but only through Christ. So let's trust in him. And let's kneel before him. And let's beg that his grace would enable us to live Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know what I'm afraid? I'm afraid we quote it, and we quote it, and we quote it, and we quote it, and we don't live it. We don't live it. Powerful verses that remind us of who we are and what we can be through the power of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?